Hello, my friends. You know, there's a new fear campaign dropping. Very exciting. Uh, COVID worked pretty well for a few years, but now there's a new one. They call it, get this, global boiling. And they say it with a straight face. Oh my God, I'll take you through it. I'll show you the video of the United Nations Secretary General talking about it. He only flies on private jets that are air conditioned, so don't worry about him. Uh, I want you to see some of the visual things we're going to show you. So do me a favor and go to rebelnewsplus.com. That's the video version of this podcast. It's eight bucks a month. And I know that's not a ton of dough for you, but it really adds up for us because if enough people subscribe, we can pay a lot of our bills with that because we need to because we don't take any government money and never will. So please go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, COVID was terrifying, but it's done. So a new fear campaign just dropped. I'll give you the latest about the new ad slogan you're going to be hearing every day, Global Boiling. It's July 28th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. They say love is the most powerful force in the world, and I believe it. Love for your family, love for your children, love for your country. Think of how dangerous it is to come between a mama grizzly bear and her cubs. That's love. But fear is a relative of love. The mama grizzly's love transforms to fear for her cub's safety. That's why she gets so utterly dangerous if you come between them. Love and fear are cousins in that way. Humans are hardwired for fear also. It's the fight-or-flight response, the adrenaline, the explosive power to run away from a wild animal or to fight in the moment. Fear of things isn't a weakness. It's actually a strength. It's what saved us for hundreds of generations. Fear of the dark, fear of wild animals, fear of strangers. It's an evolutionary strategy. You can be too afraid in life or you can be not afraid enough, which of those two errors is more likely to result in you being eaten by wild animals or robbed by highwaymen? Fear and its relief, the safety of the herd, explains a lot of human nature and explains a lot of political nature, and it explains how we were so easily manipulated and controlled during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was fear, fear of the virus that was revved up. The images on TV. I saw this video from China very early on. It looked scary to me. It worked on me, and I think I'm cynical and savvy. Lots of videos from China looked scary in those early days. I think that was a kind of psyop, a psychological operation against the world, really. Fear, fear of the virus, and then fear of those who were not afraid of the virus. Remember this? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train beside vaccinated people. And now is the time for people who are still resistant to getting vaccinated to realize that that choice, which has consequences on putting our kids at risk, which has consequences at having us risk uh, more lockdowns because they haven't chosen to get vaccinated yet, that there will be consequences for those people in not being able to go to a gym or a restaurant 
not being able to go to a movie theater, not being able to get on a train or a plane. I want to stand up for the choice of those who are there for their neighbors. Not those who are risking us all going into further lockdowns, of slowing our economic recovery. Trying to bring people together is not always compatible with science, with respect for human rights, with the best way to move things forward. I mean, when Aaron O'Toole talks about, oh yes, we need to unite people, we need to bring people together, he's talking about defending the rights of people who are anti-vax. That's why we've been unequivocal. If you want to get on a plane or a train in the coming months, you're going to have to be fully vaccinated. So families uh, with their kids don't have to worry uh, that someone is going to be, put them in danger in the seat next to them or across the aisle. Unfortunate that people who chose not to get vaccinated are now the ones clogging up our ICU systems and our hospital beds that should be available for people who did their work and did get vaccinated. Making sure uh, that uh, businesses that choose to move forward with uh, vaccine, vaccination requirements aren't subject to unnecessary or unjustified lawsuits. If you make a choice, a personal choice, to not get vaccinated, then I will have no sympathy for you when you come to me and said, oh, but I can't go out to a restaurant with my friends, or I'm not being allowed to go to the gym, or my employer uh, is telling me I have to continue to work from home. Uh, you don't have a right to endanger others. And those people are putting us all at risk. Fear is what manipulated us. Fear is what made us put on masks, which is unnatural. Fear is what made us agree to close our businesses and schools and churches, even lock out our own families, even shut down weddings and funerals. It was fear, first fear of the disease and then fear of what the government would do to us if we didn't comply. They manipulated us. That's not a controversial thing to say now, now that so much of the truth has come out. I'll just give you one small example. Uh, here's the British health minister at the time, Matt Hancock, his WhatsApp messages were leaked to the press. Matt Hancock wanted to frighten everyone into following COVID rules. Now, this is an article from uh, the Guardian newspaper. Latest batch of what at WhatsApp messages revealed discussions over when to deploy details of new strain. Let me read a little bit. This is a crazy story. Matt Hancock told AIDS he wanted to frighten the pants off everyone to ensure compliance with COVID-19 restrictions, according to the latest batch of leaked messages, which revealed discussions over when to deploy details of a new strain. The WhatsApp exchanges suggest the then-Health Secretary and others discussed how to use an announcement about the Kent variant of the virus to scare the public into changing their behavior. The messages published in the Sunday Telegraph show that Cabinet Secretary Simon Case suggested in January 2021 that the fear factor would be vital in stopping the spread of the virus. It goes on. And it worked. But it's not working anymore, obviously. I mean, it worked for nearly three years. Give it credit. It worked. I saw this uh, tweet from Mark Garneau, the former liberal, just two days ago, and it seemed like it was from an earlier era. He literally got a booster shot this week. Who does that? how out of fashion he is. That's so 2022. Doesn't he know 
The new scare isn't COVID. People don't get scared of that anymore. There's a new fear campaign that's dropping. Here, let me show you how scary it is. And of course, it's from the United Nations. You know, the World Health Organization is an agency of the UN. It did a great job. Now it's the climate agency of the United Nations. Here, take a listen to the Secretary General. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. And the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. According to the data released today, July has already seen the hottest three-week period ever recorded, the three hottest days on record, and the highest ever ocean temperatures for this time of year. The consequences are clear and they are tragic. Children swept away by monsoon rains, families running from the flames, workers collapsing in scorching heat. Leaders must lead. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. The earth is unbreathable? Really? Fossil fuel profits are unacceptable, really. Families are running from flames because of global warming. Oh, excuse me, global boiling. There's uh, no hesitancy, no waiting for others. We've got to act, eh? You know that China is by far the largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world, right? I mean, by far. Is he talking about China? You know that guy, Antonio Guterres, he... He's the Secretary General of the UN. He only flies in private jets. He doesn't fly commercial. Is he going to stop or is he hesitating? How about the United Nations? You know, they love to meet in New York and Geneva and Berlin and the world's most amazing cities. Are they going to stop traveling and switch to Zoom like you and I would? I'm kidding. Of course not. But the big boss laid out the fear agenda, and so it's being repeated now like a new script. For a while there, the script was build back better. Remember that? That all of a sudden, Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden and every leader around the world was using that same phrase. Remember that campaign? It's a very pertinent question to ask, how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. Is my plan to build back better. Uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education and mental health and start to, to build back in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called The Great Reset. An unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build back better. Building back better our economy. Build back better. All elements of the great reset 
are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. It's a big effort to, some would say, to build back, back better. We would say to really have a great reset. Conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. Yeah, well, you got to keep up. The new campaign is called Global Boiling. <laughs> Here's the front page of Canada's largest newspaper, the Toronto Star. Seriously, that is not news. That's an ad. But for whom? The United Nations, I guess, or some other lobby group. Hey, look at this. I don't know if you remember the Tides Foundation. They renamed themselves Makeway. But they actually struck a deal with the Toronto Star. Here's, let me read it for you. Tides Canada partners with the Toronto Star for a climate and economy series. They literally pay. They pay the Toronto Star to place climate propaganda in the newspaper. But why shouldn't they? I mean, Trudeau does. In recent weeks, we've seen all sorts of propaganda about how hot it is. Here was one incredible story about 42 degrees Celsius. That's super hot. But an actual thermometer in that same image shows it was 32 degrees. 32 is hot, but that's summertime. It wasn't 42. That's a lie. The fires in Greece were global boiling. No, actually, they were, they were caused by arson. In fact, they caught one of the arsonists on a drone in Canada, started by arson or by human mistakes, not putting out campfires. There are parts of the world that are really hot and other parts that are really cold. A new cold record in Antarctica. I don't know if that's global boiling, but, you know, it all fits in the universal theory. Have you ever noticed that the largest cities in the world, and I don't just mean million-person cities, I mean like all the cities that are 5 million, 10 million, the 20 million-person cities, they're all in the tropics. There are a few people who live in the far north and the deep, deep, deep south, but not in the million. The massive cities like Cairo and Mumbai and Dhaka and Tokyo, they're in the tropics. Warmth is good for life, human life, and plant life, and animal life. The diversity of species in the tropics is stunning. Very few things live in the far north. Warmth is actually good for things. No, it's not boiling. It's just summertime. So why? What's the point? Besides keeping you scared and compliant, maybe there'll be a climate lockdown. Well, there's a war on energy and a war on food. They need to keep you scared to make sure that you don't do those things, don't use those things. You know what the World Economic Forum says? You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. They actually said that, but it's pretty hard to find it online. If you Google, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. The first dozen items that come up are fact checks claiming they never really meant that. Here's the Reuters fact check. No, no, they didn't actually mean it. Here's the Globe and Mail with a fact check. No, no, they didn't actually. That's misinformation. It's very hard to find it. Here's Dr. Ellie David on Twitter. Um, he says that uh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, but that's actually changed now. You'll own nothing and you still won't be happy. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That was the last message. The new message is psychologists say a good life doesn't have to be happy or even meaningful. Here's another version. Again, this is the World Economic Forum. 
why true happiness isn't about being happy all the time. That's very hard to find online too. They say these things and when they go viral, they delete them and fact check them, but you can find them on the internet archive. You know, um, I'll believe that there's a crisis. I'll believe the world is boiling. When the world's elite start acting like it is, when Antonio Guterres has his meetings by Zoom, stops flying private, when the climate gurus stop flying on their private jets, I'll believe it then and not one minute earlier. And no, it's hot out, but that's called summer. It ain't boiling. Stay with us for more with Lauren Gunter. Hi there and welcome back. You know, earlier this week I was in Lethbridge, Alberta, where I was attending pre-trial hearings, the matter of four men who were arrested at the Coots border blockade during the lockdowns. This was the western leg of the trucker convoy. These four men were charged with very serious offenses, though not the uh, the mischief and other civil disobedience offenses that the likes of Arthur Pavlovsky or Tamara Leach were charged, these four men were charged with conspiracy to commit murder. And because it's such a serious crime that they have been accused of, the judge in that case refused to give them bail. And so they have been in the Calgary Remand Center, a high security facility, for more than 500 days. And the trial is almost a year away. They will be in jail for nearly three years. Uh, so, uh, yeah, almost almost three years by the time the matter goes to trial. There are two main tests for whether or not someone gets bailed. The first is, are they a flight risk? Will they run away or will they indeed come back to court? And the second is, are they a danger in the community? And it's on that ground that the four Kootsmen have been detained in prison. I'm not quite sure how dangerous they were, but I contrast that treatment and the lengthy detention without bail of both Arthur Pavlovsky and Tamara Leach with the revolving door approach to bail given to violent criminals in Canada, criminals about which there is no whiff of conservative politics. I referred the other day to the case of a convicted terrorist in Canada who was convicted, served her time, got out again, was charged again with terrorism offenses out on bail. How can these things be under the same law? Well, a new article by Lauren Gunter makes it even starker. The headline is, Liberal Bail Reforms Directly Tied to Soaring Violent Crime Rates Under the Trudeau Government and its Awe the Poor Deers Approach to Crime, the overall severity of crime has also risen by nearly 40%. That's his article in the Emerson Sun, and Lauren Gunter joins us now. Lauren, great to see you again. Uh, I'm not trying to compare the coots for with these violent people, but I suppose bail is bail and the tests ought to be the same or similar. Maybe I'm making too much of the political difference here, but the violent criminals who are all stabby, they're being let out on the streets, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, we had a we had a case here in early July where a father of seven, uh, Rukanisha Nakindabatwer, uh, was stabbed to death by a random individual at an LRT station, so at a subway station, basically, and uh, unprovoked, no apparent reason for it. But the the gentleman who's been charged with the murder was out on bail at the time. He has a long history of violent convictions, not 
not violent, not arrests or suspicion of violent behavior, but a long history, mm -hmm. a long conviction history of, of violence and uh, was released because since 2018, when the liberals passed their bail reform, it's become very, very difficult for judges to find a reason to keep someone in jail awaiting trial. This is a combination of the liberal law and a thing called the Jordan uh, decision in, in the Supreme Court, which said it really is unheard of. It really is unfair to keep someone in jail for more than two years awaiting trial because then you know, you've basically given them the sentence without having had a hearing. Um, and so those two things conspired to, to make it virtually impossible now for judges to keep anyone in jail and awaiting their trial. And so we have lots and lots and lots of people on the street who have violent criminal histories who are awaiting trial and who have proven by their by their pre their previous actions that they are a threat to the community. But the liberal law doesn't make it that big a deal to be a threat to the community. I give you two just quick stats here, uh, very related. In Calgary and Edmonton in the last three years, between 40 and 50% of people charged with murder were either out on bail at the time they were charged or on early release from their prison sentences. Because that's the other half of what the liberals did in 2018 was they made it much harder to keep someone in jail for beyond one sixth hmm. of their sentence. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you're charged and you're, you're, you're sentenced to a couple of years in jail, it's very hard for the, the prison system to keep you in jail longer than three months. Hmm. Uh, and so you have a lot of people that are not reformed. They, they haven't, I mean, they, you and I probably have some doubt about the, the validity, the, the usefulness of prison psychological uh, training or psychological therapy, but there's no chance that they've even gone through any of that. And now all of a sudden they're out on the street again. So is it any wonder that the murder rate is up in Canada since the Liberals took over by about 40%? Uh, is it any wonder that the rape uh, rate in Canada has doubled? Since the since the liberal story, people are not sent to jail very often, and when they are, they're not kept there very long. That's that's the simple just of it. Hmm. You know, really, until Trudeau took office, the rate of crime and the rate of violent crime was on a slow, steady decline. There's a lot of reasons for that. One was demographics; the population as a whole was getting slightly older, and of course, crime is a young man's game, um, both in terms of uh, perpetrators and victims. But to see that come undone is, is shocking. I mean, it's really the same thing in New York City. That city almost single-handedly was responsible for lowering the American crime rate. It was so criminal in the 1970s. But then Rudy Giuliani really f made it the safest big city in America. And just that statistically changed the whole country. But then you had these woke mayors coming in and saying, well, we're not going to prosecute. I mean, in San Francisco, they're not going to prosecute theft under $950. Um, you know, you have corporations firing staff who dare to try and stop shoplifters. The staff want to stop it. They feel a moral repugnance. The companies fire them and call them racist or whatnot. You know, shops are closing in San Francisco. And it, I don't think it'll be long before they start closing in some neighborhoods in Canada. Let me ask you this, Lauren. Several major hoteliers 
have moved out of downtown San Francisco, three that I can think of, because it's simply become too dangerous for their their uh, guests to walk around in the downtown area. And so guests are staying away. And so the hoteliers have pulled out. I mean, that's what happens when you follow these ridiculous, progressive notions about what will stop crime. And, and you have to recall that, you know, you and I have talked before about how often experts turn out to be wrong. They were wrong about a lot of the pandemic countermeasures, for instance. Uh, they are terribly wrong in this case, and we're seeing the evidence of it. So all of these liberal reforms were based on what experts told them. The best way to stop crime is to reintegrate the potential criminals into society as quickly as possible. No, you're releasing them. You're releasing the people who have shown themselves to be the most likely to commit crime. You're releasing those people into the general population. What in heaven's name do you think yeah. is going to happen? Yeah, and by the way, if I know you've studied this too, but uh, for years people have been concerned about what they uh, a phrase "missing and murdered Indigenous women." Where, who killed these women? What happened to them? Well, the RCMP actually has a very high rate of solving those crimes. So it's actually not a mystery. About eighty-five percent solving, but the same is for white victims. And the answer is, and it's a terrible answer, which is why you don't hear the answer, but the RCMP themselves publish it. Most of the women who are violently assaulted or killed are, are victims of people they knew who had done it to them before. In many cases, a family member or a boyfriend. And the bail, you talked about how bail is so easy. It's even easier and and sentences are even more lenient if there's an indigenous element to it. You get almost a racial discount. And this is done in the name of being progressive and healing. But if the primary victims of these indigenous men on reserves are indigenous women on reserves, you are sending the violent man right back into the household where he already attacked the woman. That's a shocking fact to hear. But it's the fact. And so the white judge feels very noble, but he just sentenced another indigenous woman to be killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's I think there's a lot of merit in what you say there. I mean, the James Lake uh, Cree Nation, multiple killings, the stabbings last year were were perpetrated by someone who had been under mandatory early release from prison, in part because of what they call the GLADU principle, which is where you, judges have to discount the sentence uh, of, of Indigenous uh, criminals uh, because they're Indigenous. It, it's, it's presumed that they had a harder upbringing than, than non-Indigenous criminals, and so therefore they get a, a partial pass. You couldn't say they always get a free pass, but they get a partial pass. And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, we've seen that also in the United States, where there have been efforts made to release uh, African-American criminals earlier or integrate them more, or be more lenient. Uh, and and the recidivism rate, the, the repeat offense rate is, is higher. I, one of the things that I came across, uh, well, two things I think it would be of interest to your viewers that I came across yesterday when I was doing my research on the bail and parole uh, fiasco, one was, since the liberals have come to power, the percentage of uh, gun crimes has doubled. <laughs> and that's not people 
who are being convicted for unsafe storage or failing to renew their licenses or some of those administrative laws that the liberals created. Those, that's not the crimes we're talking about. This is people who've pointed the guns in the commission of a crime, fired a gun in the commission of a crime, in some way or other used a gun to commit a crime. That has doubled despite the assault mm -hmm. weapons ban, the handgun ban, and all of the other restrictions that the liberals have put on law-abiding gun owners. They were never the problem anyway. You know, so what, what you've basically done is you've increased the likelihood people with violent records will be out on the street, and you've taken away guns from ordinary people. So what's going to happen? People who are out on the street on bail or early release know that they can use a gun and nobody's going to have any ability to defend themselves. So that's why those instances have increased. But the other thing that is that, that was, I think, very telling, and it gets back to what you were talking about, Indigenous offenders. The murder rate among Indigenous Canadians is seven times what the murder rate is among non-Indigenous Canadians. And that's significant, I think, because the murder rate among uh, other minority Canadians, other visible minority Canadians, is only a fraction higher than it is among non-Indigenous, non-racialized Canadians. So if you have the murder rate, for instance, among Black Canadians is not that much. It is higher than, than among uh, white Canadians, but it's not that much higher. But the the murder rate among Indigenous Canadians is almost seven times what it is among um, among non-Indigenous Canadians, and so uh, th there's a problem there. And and you, and as you pointed out, most of those murders and crimes against Indigenous people are committed by Indigenous people, and uh, and that's where one of the I mean the Liberals, if they were interested in solving crime, should be focusing their efforts there. How come that happens? Why is, what, what is the reason for that? And let's try and help and stop that. But they don't, they don't, they go after law abiding gun owners and, uh, and they release all sorts of violent people into the street. And yesterday, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau was asked, well, uh, is your new cabinet going to take on bail reform? And he said, well, yes, of course, we'll, we will do bail reform. We said we would. Now, their bail reforms, I think, will be largely useless. Mm -hmm. uh, they were, they're not going to lock up a lot more violent people awaiting trial than, than they are doing now. It's mostly for show. But he said, yes, yes, of course, we'll do bail reform. But mm -hmm. this is about mental health support and dealing with social issues. So they've not they have not absorbed any of the lessons from what these crime statistics show, because in their minds, being progressives, in their minds, they're always right. None of their theories are ever wrong. They may be just not implemented properly. So let's work harder to implement the ridiculous ideas that our experts have given us. I, I think that's where we're headed with this new cabinet. Here's a clip of Trudeau uh, saying exactly what you just described. Take a look. The latest data from Statistics Canada shows an increase in uh, violent crime in Canada. Uh, how are you going to ask your new minister to tackle this, and do you have any possible solutions? We've been working with uh, provinces uh, across the country on bail reform. We've been working on uh, strengthening the ways of supporting Canadians because it is not right that in far too many of our cities we're seeing an uptick in violent crime. And there's all sorts of different factors that go into that. 
Um, the need for bail reform is one of them. The uh, challenges on mental health that have come out of the pandemic in these difficult years. These are all things we have to respond to. But it's not just about stepping up on the security side, although that is important and we're doing that. It's also about creating greater opportunities for youth to be part of community organizations and, and uh, have the kind of mentorship and guidance that keeps them uh, out of a life of, of gangs and crime. It's about making sure uh, that we're investing in safer communities uh, in all sorts of different ways with better mental health supports, better, uh, better community and frontline workers. It's more work on, uh, on harm reduction in terms of the opioids epidemic that's devastating far too many communities across the country. We're going to continue to take an evidence-based approach that is there, is present, working with municipalities and provinces to keep our communities safe, to keep Canadians safe, because that's one of the fundamental jobs any government has. You know, there's one more thing, and our friend Aaron Gunn has done a, a series of videos that shows this. Um, I remember way back when, when I was a baby lawyer, and uh, I was going to court, and, and when you're just a student at law, you have to wait. There's a pecking order. The senior lawyers go first, then the junior lawyers, and then at the very end, the student lawyers go. But that was actually wonderful, because you got to sit in court and watch the smart guys go. You learned a ton just by sitting there. I actually enjoyed going last, because I got to see how the smart guys did it. And one thing I saw in docket court, and this was in Edmonton, in, in your city where I, where I went to law school, Lauren, I have to say that the majority of criminal cases that were in docket court, so th this is just everything fresh off the street, first, you know, just from bar fights to, you know, domestic assaults, in almost, I don't know, at least half the cases, maybe three quarters, there was alcohol or drugs. And I'm not here calling for, you know, prohibition or anything, but I'm making the opposite point. Justin Trudeau and other progressives, far from being prohibitionists, believe in safe injections and free drugs and more drugs and, and oh, don't, don't have them go cold turkey. Don't have an intervention, take them out of the streets, make it easier for them to get safe drugs. So the, the thing that I saw, and this is 30 years, 25 years ago, I was in docket court and it was alcohol, but we didn't yet have the same kind of opioid epidemic or some of the, the drugs we have now. And, and I don't remember the stats offhand for the number of indigenous perpetrators and victims where there was alcohol and drugs afoot, but I've got to think it's a majority. It's the reason why some Indian bands are dry, no alcohol allowed. And these are uncomfortable things to talk about, but if we're not going to talk about them, well, Trudeau's making all these things worse. There's this whole industry about pushing drugs on people, not taking it away. You're never going to stop the crime if these people aren't, aren't even themselves. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I, the National Post had an exceptionally good uh, series on safe injection and and the whole idea of of the state providing free drugs to people and what a complete foul up that has been. It's very much like the bail and and parole reform that has led to much higher violent crime rates in our cities, and. Uh, just as as giving away free drugs has led to much higher use of of opioids. Like, how is this how is this even a question? Like, I know the experts all like to show how much more enlightened they are than than we uh, who have these old fashioned ideas. Uh, oh no 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 no! You need to release criminals in order to reduce crime, and you need to give away free drugs in order to reduce addiction. I, 
in in whose universe does that make any sense? It, it, it's positively ridiculous. It's one of those things that's so self-evident that it leads to people honking horns in downtown Ottawa because they just get fed up with experts telling them things that are demonstrably untrue. Yeah. You know, there is one jurisdiction in the world that has gone from being one of the most violent countries in the world to one of the least violent, at least when it comes to murder. And I'm talking about the Latin American country called El Salvador. And I'm not sure if you've been paying attention. They have, a, have. They have a, an unusual leader. They do. I, mean, I would he, not want to follow their <laughs> lead. It, it, they have dis, suspended most democratic rights. I, and I don't... I, oh, and I'm not, I'm not uh, downplaying that. But uh, Nayib Bukele, he's a big Bitcoin guy, yeah. uh, which, which shows he's, a, he's an individual. He's a little bit of a, non, a contrarian. But yeah. he has arrested en masse people. And you're right. He's... You know, I, I, there have been accusations that he's reduced civil liberties. And when it comes to arrest, he has arrested hundreds and he hundreds has, and hundreds of gang members. And he has 7% of the male population of El Salvador between the ages of 18 and 29. He has 7% of them in jail at the moment. Uh, and, and, and he's reduced crime so dramatically. Last I saw, he's at 90% in the polls. Now, I'm not recommending that we... Uh, incarcerate seven percent of young men that sounds enormous although i wonder what the stat is in the united states it wouldn't surprise me if the statistic in the united states is around two well, or three percent three three strikes did bring down the crime rate in yeah. the united states because you were All suddenly saying, is it, a lot of people who are criminals and i i'm not record i don't know the details of uh, the el salvador approach but i know the result mm -hmm. uh, murder and other violent crimes have plunged yeah. and and the president's support has skyrocketed. And I say that not, not saying we should copy that necessarily. I want to study it more. Yeah, yeah. But where is the political demand for this kind of yeah. leak, uh, weak bail, early release? Yeah. Like there's only so many criminal lawyers out there who would be cheering this. Who's in favor of it? Yeah, take a look at uh, what happened with when the liberals came in. They also started getting rid of mandatory minimum sentencing. And while crime had been trending down long before Stephen Harper became prime minister. It trended down faster under his government than it had in the previous 20 years. Uh, as soon as the liberals started messing with bail and mandatory minimums and early release, it spiked right back up again. Because despite the fact that criminals may not be PhD geniuses, they also aren't stupid. They realize that if there are very few consequences to the crimes that they are committing, they might as well go out and commit them. Like what's what's six months over the winter in a nice Canadian prison versus, um, you know, 12 years, if that was the, the alternative. It, they're not dumb. They do these calculations, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, but they but they know that. Uh, but but the El Salvador example reminds me of a story from my Italian immigrant father-in-law who came to Canada after the Second World War and said to us quite out of the blue about 10 years ago, you know, under Mussolini, there was no crime in the streets. Yes, well, that's that's lovely, but I don't want a fascist dictatorship. Thank you very much. Well, there's got to be a happy medium is what I'm saying. <laughs> and and I, I would like to study El Salvador's case more. And you, 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 
you are uh, encouraging me to look at the uh, fine print, but it is quite dramatic. I mean, that really was one of the most violent, dangerous places. And gangs run. And by the way, Mexico Absolutely. is lawless. Mexico, Absolutely. half of Mexico is run by the cartels. And if the choice is between an authoritarian drug kingpin or, or a heavy handed uh, president, you know, if those are the now, maybe there's a third option there, too. But uh, I would like to learn more. The article is called Liberal Bail Reforms Directly Tied to Soaring Violent Crime Rates. The author is our friend, Lauren Gunter. The newspaper in which it was published was the Edmonton Sun. Lauren, it's great to see you again. And I, I really, and, and you've told me the Edmonton story, and I know the Vancouver story here in Toronto, the stabbings and shootings, especially on the subway, because you know, the subway here is probably the most developed subway in, in Canada. And it is dangerous. People are afraid to go on there. And you see videos of, passengers running screaming in terror from a stabbing it's it is real i i it's not 1970s new york yet but it's on that path last word to you my friend no i think you're right i i think you you have to within the container of the rule of law uh, uh and and democratic rights you have to be as firm as tough on criminals as you can be because they take the signal that you're not being tough yeah. as as licensed to go out and do whatever they feel like yeah all right well we'll wrap it up there long gunter great to see you again thanks very much to see you stay with us more ahead Hey, that's the show for today. I, I want to tell you, I was actually planning on going on another journey tonight. Uh, we've been defending a fight the fines case in the United Kingdom. We had a handful of them, and most of them resolved, but there was one case left. It was the case of a cranky, rather eccentric municipal councillor uh, near Glasgow in Scotland. His name was Paddy Hogg. He was a real character. Here's a quick flashback to Paddy Hogg and how he got in trouble. Well, they wouldn't let Paddy Hogg go. He had a peaceful protest outdoors at his own city hall where he was a city councilor. Not only did they charge him with some anti-gathering offense, but they charged him with a criminal offense. They said he was endangering the lives of people because they could get COVID at his outdoor protest. Well, there's actually no cases of COVID spreading in the outdoors. We crowdfunded the legal defense for Patty Hogg, and we actually hired a world-class expert on infectious diseases. We were going to slam dunk this case in court in Scotland. Not only would we win for Patty Hogg, but I was absolutely certain, as was our lawyer, that our infectious diseases expert would say, this is ridiculous. It just didn't spread outdoors. And on the eve of trial, the prosecutor there just dropped the case after hand hounding Patty Hogg for two years. I'm glad I don't have to make the long journey to Glasgow, but frankly, I was looking forward to watching our Top Gun lawyer smash the prosecutor there and not just win for Patty, but to win for scientific truth. Alas, Patty's free to go and we'll just have to tell you the story. I'm glad I won't be traveling. I've been traveling so much. I look forward to spending a lot more time here in the studio and with our great Canadian team. I tell you, one last thing before I go, if you haven't seen David Menzies' video about the Fergus uh, girls rugby team, you've got to watch it. It's got half a million views on YouTube alone in the last few days. Here's just a little taste of that. Here's the cold open of that video. Just take a quick look.
Mr. Davis, Ash, why are you doing this? I'm David Menzies, Rebel oh, News. Hi. No, you're not really uh, a part of this. We're human rights. What about the human rights human of biological rights. women being human injured by this rights. man? As a mother, why would you expose your uh, kids to because a misogyny? That is my partner. That, that is my wife that you are being. So he's a lesbian. It's not a sport, or it's not. It's not an issue. I'm a registered social worker, sir, and I demand oh. human rights for everybody. Oh, okay. They just. Yeah, what's a biological female? How do you feel about a biological male playing in rugby now? Thank you! I don't really give a f Everybody! Really? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what is a crime anymore. Mm. Well, sometimes we all ask ourselves that, right? <laughs> I tell you, it's vintage rebel. In the field, politically incorrect, not being afraid. Police are called on us. David Menzies doesn't lose his cool. That's some of the best TV I've seen this year, and I hope you agree. It's one of the things that, you know, we tell the other side of the story. Most media are afraid to challenge the insanity of transgenderism in women's sports, but our friend David did a great job. That's Vintage Rebel, in it? Well, have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Keep checking in on our channel over the weekend. Of course, we still post news as it breaks. Until next time, on behalf of all of us at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.